Hi, this is Steve Matthews. You're listening to Radio Looks Lucid, and this is episode 85. You know, I haven't done this for a month. I almost forget how to introduce myself. Yeah, this is Steve Matthews, and you're listening to Radio Looks Lucid, episode 85, and the title of this episode is The Biden Regime's Ministry of Truth. So, welcome to the live stream and podcast, everybody. It's great to have you here. And, well, what do we got here? So, yes, it's been about a month since I've I've had a chance to do a do a uh, podcast. I don't know. I think it's uh, it just had to get a little bit of bit of a brain break or something like that every now and then. And so it's good to be back here behind the microphone and, and have a chance to uh, share a few thoughts here with you. I hope everybody's had a good month so far. In fact, this is the last day of April. This is April 30th, 2022, recording this on that date. And yeah, I hope everybody's had a great April. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, weather-wise here in, in Cincinnati, it's kind of been I don't know. I think it's kind of been a little bit of a below average April, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it seems like it's been a little bit cool. Uh, we had a really nice day today. We had a really nice day yesterday, for that matter. And I was able to go out and get a little, uh, my favorite outdoor activity, doing some bike riding, got that done. Um, also getting into the full swing of doing yard work, too. Of course, this is uh, usually right around the first of April or so is when I have to start around here. And it was the same this year. You know, you get out and you got to get the the mower out and blow the dust off of that and uh, get some of the other equipment you got out there and, and get things organized. But I've, I've done it, I guess, about four times now. So I'm kind of getting in the swing of it. And uh, I've actually done a pretty good job. I kind of jumped on the weeds this year. And so hopefully they're, uh, they'll be kind of under control here uh, for the season. I hope they stay that way anyway. They're, they're pretty good right now, but we'll see if uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll stay that way. Uh, I guess one bad thing for me here in, in April, I have to report my my Cincinnati Reds. Um, I've been a fan of the, the Reds forever and ever, and uh, boy, they're a miserable team this year. I think they have the worst record in baseball, which isn't surprising considering that the team management decided to trade off all their best players. And uh, they, they said uh, before the season started that they were aligning their payroll with their resources. Now, when you're a baseball fan, that's really not what you want to hear out of management, uh, because what that means is last place. Uh, that's a kind of a, uh, I, I guess, a euphemistic way of saying we're going for last place, and uh, they're doing a, a very, very good job of that. Uh, they might have the worst record in the whole league this year, so uh, who knows? Anyway, uh, enough of that. So I wanted to get on to today's topic here. the uh, The title of the podcast, as I mentioned, is the Biden regime's Ministry of Truth, and. Yeah, I, I really do think that the the Biden uh, presidency is is an extremely dangerous and an extremely evil uh, set of governors, a set of rulers, set of civil magistrates from the president on down. I mean, I, I don't think that it was a legitimate election. I think that this was uh, was a uh, a regime that was imposed on the United States of America. I think the election was uh, was clearly cheated. By the Democrats, which is which is pretty typical, because I mean, as as we've mentioned here on this program many times, that's kind of how the Democrats roll. And and I hate to say that; I know that sounds really terrible, and and very partisan. Uh, I am a Republican. Uh, I've been a registered Republican my whole life, and I'll freely admit the Republican Party isn't anything great. Uh, they don't do a really great job of defending anything. In fact, it seems like a lot of times the Republicans, and their job in, in this whole 
system that we have, this corrupt system that we have, it seems to be they're, they're kind of like the political version of the Washington generals. And if, if you know anything about the Harlem Globetrotters, you know what I'm talking about. You know, the Harlem Globetrotters, they, they go on the road and they play. And I, I've seen them before. It's always a good show. Uh, but they, there's this team they play every night. They're, the, they're called the Washington Generals. And the job of the Washington Generals is to go out every night and lose to the Harlem Globetrotters. And I really do think a lot of times that the job of the Republicans is to go out and, and lose to the Democrats, offer a little controlled opposition, and uh, when things push comes to shove, just fold. Uh, that's that's kind of how they roll. That's uh, that's I, th- I think maybe what happened with the uh, the 2020 presidential election, and so now we've got this this disastrous regime that's running the country into the ground. I mean, they the Biden regime is going out of its way, in my opinion, to uh, to destroy the country, to implode the country. I mean, whether you're looking at the policy of deficit spending and and money printing, whether you're looking at the policy of uh, of war, uh, the the Biden regime is going out of its way to start a war in Europe. I mean, well, they already have succeeded in starting a war, and they are doing everything possible, with the help of the Republicans, I might add, too, of getting the U.S. involved in this war, inflaming it further, uh, continuing to push it. Uh, they are collapsing the country by destroying our borders and inviting millions of illegal aliens into the country. They are... Uh, lying pretty much about everything all the time. I mean, it's it's. I mean, Joe Biden's clearly corrupt. His son Hunter Biden is clearly corrupt. You know, there, there's that verse in the Bible. What does it say? You know, when the when the evil when the when the good rule, you know, the people rejoice, but when the the wicked bear rule, you know, the, the people groan. Uh, maybe that's not an exact quote, but I think it's it's kind of close. It gets you that idea. Well, we're in a position where we have our government that's been captured by some some very evil men. And they are are pretty much running rampant right now, doing pretty much anything they want. And it, it's hard to watch. And I, I have to admit that it, it's really hard to watch. And I pray about this all the time. And I, I have to say, I, I mean, I really do think it's God's judgment uh, on the United States of America for, for any number of reasons. But I, I think maybe generally speaking, it's because of our unbelief. You know, it's because of our rejection of him. You know, you think about the churches that at one time were faithful in this country. And I, I'm Presbyterian, and you know, I think about the, the mainline Presbyterian church. You know, the mainline Presbyterian church, they have same-sex weddings now, uh, which of, of course aren't weddings at all. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not only blasphemous, it's, it's absurd. And you know, that's, that's the state of the Presbyterian church, by and large. Uh, is is apostasy. I mean, there are some faithful Presbyterians out there, but the Presbyterians had a great deal to do with both creating the United States of America and forming it and and sustaining it in its early years as a republic. And for over a hundred years, the the Presbyterian Church has been missing in action. You know, they have uh, turned away backward, uh, as it were. And you know, we have a uh, as a result, we have a gigantic mess on our hands uh, as a nation. Uh, we can't deal with anything. You know, we have Supreme Court justices now that claim they, that she doesn't know what a woman is. We have um, all kinds of just problems. And, and I, I could sit here and go on and on and on, but I think you probably know at least what some of these are. And, and I'm not going to get too far off on too many subjects. I really kind of wanted to focus in on this whole idea of the ministry of the, the ministry of truth, so-called. I mean, that's not actually what they call it, but they may as well. Of course, you, you probably recall the, the, the term ministry of truth is a term out of George Orwell's book, 1984. And that was sort of like the propaganda ministry 
of the government. You know, they, they told people what to think and, you know, they had a memory hole where they, they would flush things down, they'd drop things down and then it'd disappear. You know, we've always been at war with East Asia, you know, the, this kind of thing. Yeah, they, they would propagandize people. They would, would, would shape their thinking. They would thought shape them. Sometimes you hear people use that term. I have a, a gentleman that I, I follow, have followed, whose work I followed for a long time and he'll use that term. He uses it, he calls it thought shaping. Um, so anyway, I wanted to talk uh, specifically here tonight about the thing, the, the official title for it is the Disinformation Governance Board, but that's what we've been calling, and a number of people have called the the Ministry of Truth. And I think that's an appropriate thing to to call it, because that's that's really the thrust behind it. That's really the the idea behind it, is we, you know, they 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 want to to create a they claim they want to fight disinformation, but one thing that you can always be sure of whenever you're talking about a, a governmental organization, whatever the name of it is, the truth of it is just the opposite. So just flip that thing 180 degrees, and and I think you'll be pretty close to the truth. When they talk about wanting to fight disinformation, what they want to do is they're talking about they want to push propaganda. Yeah, you know the way. What? How do they define disinformation? Well, they haven't come out specifically and said it. In fact, I think they've probably studiously avoided the term defining disinformation. So I'll define it for them. Disinformation is whatever they don't like. Disinformation for the Biden regime is whatever uh, goes against its its policies, and and that's disinformation. So if they want to get the United States involved in a, a knockdown, drag out war in Europe, anything that opposes that, well, that's disinformation. And if you, you know, if if the regime say they want to push, uh, you know, dangerous, unsafe, and ineffective COVID vaccines on people, and you come out and you have even hard data that shows that uh, that these things are unsafe and ineffective, that they're killing people, well, um, well, that's disinformation. If you talk about the economy, you know, the uh, you know you, you know the economy according to them is just doing awesome. And if you say that it's not, well, I suppose that's disinformation too. And it, it's so, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, the definition of disinformation is whatever the Biden regime doesn't like. I mean, that, that's going to be how this is going to work out in practice. I think we can be pretty sure of that. So anyway, here's uh, maybe to start off with, here's a, a story. And this is from, from CBS, and it just talks about the, the announcement that was made. I believe that was actually done on, on Thursday, the 28th of April. But the, the headline here, and let me go ahead and... Okay, so the Disinformation Governance Board to tackle spread of misinformation in U.S. focusing on Russia and U.S.-Mexico border. Okay, so there's something else. You know, not only do they want to lie to you about the the uh, war and between Russia and Ukraine, uh, they're going to lie to you about immigration. You know, they've got you know what two million people or something like that have flooded into the country just in the past year or so, and and of course they're going to lie to you about that. And they're going to tell you it's not really happening or, you know, it's a good thing or, or whatever. But yes, they're, they're going to lie to you about that. In fact, the same guy, the head of the, the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, is the same guy that announced the, um, the formation of the, uh, the the Disinformation Governance Board. The Disinformation Governance Board is actually going to be part of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, I always thought the Department of Homeland Security was kind of an Orwellian name for an organization. And of course, it started out uh, right after 9-11. It was one of the, uh, the departments that was formed at that time. And it, it's been violating the Constitution and oppressing the American people now for, I guess, uh, close on to 20 years. 
So I guess for their their twentieth twentieth uh, anniversary, I guess they're interested and they want to add a new a new piece and uh, a new way of of attacking the Constitution and suppressing the American people. And they're going to call it the Disinformation Governance Board, and I'm just going to call it the um, the Ministry of Truth. That, that's what I'm going to refer to as the Ministry of Truth. It's the Orwellian uh, Ministry of Truth that Alejandro Mayorkas wants to stand up here. And it says the Department of Homeland Security is setting up a disinformation governance board to try to counter the spread of false information. The board will focus on disinformation coming from Russia as well as misleading messages about the U.S.-Mexico border, the Associate Press, Associated Press reports. Right, let's take a look at that here. Yeah, here we go. You know, I actually had a link right there. I didn't even click on it. I should have. So let's see here. This is from the AP. And it says disinformation board to tackle Russia, migrant smugglers. So the, the Department of Homeland Security is stepping up an effort to counter disinformation coming from Russia, as well as misleading information that human smugglers circulate to target migrants hoping to travel to the U.S.-Mexico border. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I know that they say that it's going to be targeting smugglers. I, I kind of doubt that. I, I think the misinformation is really going to be mainly directed at, at American citizens. I, mean, I, I think that that's, that's the, the more reasonable uh, interpretation of that. And the person that they've... Um, that they've tapped to uh, to head this thing up. Her name is Nina Jankowitz. She's going to lead the board, and she is uh, she's a truly awful individual. If you've uh, seen Tucker Carlson, had an interesting report on her this past week, as as did the uh, uh, Ron Paul Liberty report on Thursday on on the twenty eighth as well when when this whole thing was announced. Uh, she's a fairly awful individual. She's a raging feminist, and um, quite frankly, I think a bit of a nut. So she's perfect for this organization. Absolutely perfect. So let's take a look here. We've got, oh, here's another report here from CNS News. Mayorkas' new federal organization addresses disinformation and imperils the safety and security of our homeland. Again, I think the best way to interpret that is that uh, they don't want you to know the truth. Because the truth, in their mind, imperils the safety and security of our homeland. I think there's someone, in fact, Ron Paul has used this phrase before. He says, in an empire of lies, truth is treason. And, and that's really where we're getting, to the, we're getting to that point. I think we've gotten to that point, I should say. We've been at that point here now for some time. You can't tell the truth without getting kicked off of social media, shadow banned, unpersoned, deplatformed, whatever. I mean, this has been going on now for, uh, for a long time, uh, for the past several years, and it just seems to be getting worse and worse as the powers that shouldn't be get more and more desperate. You know, that's one of the problems with lies. You know, maybe you were, when you were a kid, you know, you, uh, maybe if you told a lie, you know, maybe your mom told you, you know, you, you know, that one of the, the problems with lying is that, uh, that you, when you lie, you have to, to keep lying. You know, once you start down that path of lying, you, it's, it's really hard to get off of that treadmill. And you have to tell bigger and bigger lies. And, of course, the leadership of the United States of America has to continually uh, lie to us. In fact, I don't know that anything that comes out of the Biden regime, I, I don't know if anybody tells the truth. Or if they do, I think maybe they do it by accident. It's, it's truly astounding. And, of course, it's not just the Biden regime either. It's all the institutions of our society. You know, where they're talking about universities, where they're talking about schools, where they're talking about the news media, most churches, unfortunately, sadly. Yeah, we've got, uh, we, we have, we're, we're surrounded and steeped in studied lies. 
these things are done intentionally. They are done uh, with a purpose. They are done for the purpose of, of benefiting certain people or certain groups, uh, but they're certainly not done for the benefit of, of the bulk of the American people who deserve to hear the truth but rarely ever do. So here's Mayorkas, and he says, we've just established a mis- and disinformation governance board in the Department of Homeland Security to more effectively combat this threat, not only to election security, but to our homeland security. Okay, so he's talking about the threats of disinformation to election security. So I, I assume, you know, when I read that, my assumption is that they intend to use the uh, the Ministry of Truth to also, also cheat in uh, the fall elections this fall and to cover up their cheating and, of course, to continue to cheat in, in 2024 because that's just – that's how, in particular, that, that's how the Democrats roll. Uh, they cheat and they cover up their cheating. And so I, apparently that's one of the motives for establishing this ministry of truth is to enable them to more easily cheat in the fall 2022 uh, midterm congressional elections. At least that's my interpretation on it. That's my read on it. So let's see what we have here. Let's take a look a little bit at the the history of the Ministry of Truth. You know, this this whole thing with manipulating public opinion, it's been going on for a long time. And in fact, actually, I think you can probably go back, I would say at least until the into the 1950s, there was something that was called Operation Mockingbird. I don't know, maybe some of you have heard of this. It's called Operation Mockingbird. And where what it was is where is the CIA was infiltrating and news organizations and planting stories and controlling uh, the way news was presented in a way that would favor whatever you know the the deep state the the folks the the you know the uh, the sort of shadowy figures behind the government it 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 pushed out the propaganda but it did it under the guise of of independent news organizations and this actually was first made public in the late 1970s, there was an article that was written by Carl Bernstein. Now, that's a, a name you may be familiar with. Of course, he was part of the famous reporting duo Woodward and Bernstein that supposedly broke the um, the uh, the Watergate case back in 1972. And in 1977, Carl Bernstein wrote a an article talking about Operation Mockingbird. Now, he didn't use the term Operation Mockingbird, but he described the CIA's operation. Of course, now the CIA doesn't even bother to be covert about it. I mean, you can go on to uh, tune into CNN if if you're one of about three people who tunes into CNN uh, or say MSNBC, for example, and you can find all sorts of supposedly former uh, FBI, NSA, CIA uh, type folks. Uh, they're right on the air. I mean, so they don't even try to hide it. Of course, if you watch Fox News, you'll note that uh, Sean Hannity, he has certain pins on his lapel, on his suit lapel. And one of the pins he wears every single night, it's a CIA pin. So, you know, you, you make your own decisions about what you think, uh, who controls Sean Hannity. If he's wearing a CIA pin, uh, I'll let you draw your own conclusions on that. So anyway, there's been a long history of the intelligence agencies manipulating the news. The media is incredibly powerful. And this is one of the things that, that we need to be aware of is that you and I are constantly propagandized. We're propagandized 24-7. In fact, I don't know if there's ever been a people in history that have been more propagandized than the American public. 
You know, and you can just see that over the past couple of years. Look with all this stuff, COVID, 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 COVID. It's COVID, COVID, COVID for two years. That stopped. And like the very next day, it became Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. Now everybody's like, rah, 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 Ukraine. You know, you go on Twitter and everybody's got a, a Ukrainian flag in, uh, on their, uh, their, their avatar. Or, you know, it, it, it's all over the place. So all of a sudden, Ukraine is now the, is this sort of taken the, uh, the lead from, from, uh, from COVID. Although COVID hasn't completely gone away. You know, I see Fauci's trying to make it come back and trying to scare everybody with, with all this nonsense. And of course, the vaccine companies won't give up. You know, no matter how many people they kill. Uh, with their poison death shot, they continue to push the the vaccines, and they push them for younger and younger children. I think now they're pushing for six month olds. Um, and, and as far as I'm concerned, they're murderers, and and the people that go that that uh, assist them in this stuff, they they are also complicit to murder. They're killing people, they're maiming people, uh, they're destroying people's lives with this awful shot. Uh, but the propaganda. As I say, even though Ukraine's taking the lead right now, that, that COVID is, is right behind there. Of course, those, those big pharma companies have to make sure that they, uh, they continue to rake in their, their windfall profits. And, and you know, it's funny when I say that because I, I was a business major. Okay, I, I have an MBA. I am a capitalist. I believe in liberty. I believe in limited government. I believe in private property. But what you see going on right now with these, these vaccine companies is not capitalism. What you're seeing is cronyism. What you're really seeing is a sort of vaccine fascism. You know, that, you know, you've got this merger of state and corporate powers when it comes to the vaccine companies, the, the pharma companies, that, that is the definition of fascism. And so these pharma companies have, been, have worked overtime to get laws passed to make people take these, these shots. And at the same time, because they have, because these shots are being given under the emergency use authorization, these, these vaccine companies have zero liability. So if they come up and they jab you and you get myocarditis, you have a stroke or you have a pulmonary embolism or you have some blood clot and have to have a limb amputated or you die, you, you or your family have zero recourse. You cannot go back to the vaccine companies and, and, uh, for money. In fact, I heard in some cases, it appears that insurance companies are able to get out of paying death benefits. Uh, in some cases, I saw a, a, a video, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago or so, there was a, a lawyer on there that was discussing this. And, and what he was talking about, and he, there was a case, and I, I can't remember the, the exact case, but there was an example that he gave of where... A, an insurance company refused to pay a, a beneficiary the death benefit on, on a life insurance policy. And what their reasoning was is that the person that took the vaccine engaged in a risky behavior that voided the, uh, voided the insurance contract. This was the, I guess apparently it went to court and apparently a judge uphold, upheld that, uh, that line of reasoning. So I don't know if that's going to become a common thing or not, you know, whether that's going to become a precedent, but apparently that has happened in at least one occasion. So, you know, you could have something horrible happen to you. You could die from the vaccine. You might have a, a, an insurance policy and that insurance policy may not pay because the judge might look at that and say, well, Hey, you know, you volunteered for hazardous duty. 
for a hazardous activity that's that's devoids the insurance contract, and so your beneficiary gets nothing. Yeah, that's kind of an amazing thing, but you know that's that's the kind of racket that is is being being carried out on the American people right now. And it's 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 a truly appalling thing. So anyway, I want to I guess I got a little bit off track there, but just talking a little bit about the history of the the ministry of truth. This war, as I mentioned, I mean, it's been going on now since at least the 1950s. And really, propaganda has been going on longer than that. But I'm, I'm just going back to the 1950s here to start with. But in recent years, it's really picked up. So I'm going to skip over a whole bunch of things. And I wanted to draw your attention to something here. This is a story that was carried on, on Yahoo News back in October 2016. So the date on this is October 13th, 2016. And it has a headline. It says, Obama declines Wild West Media Landscape. In the picture here, it says, U.S. President Barack Obama speaks at the White House Frontiers Conference at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on October 13, 2016. So you read in here, President Barack Obama on Thursday decried America's wild, wild west media environment for allowing conspiracy theorists a broad platform and destroying a common basis for debate. Now, of course, the whole idea of conspiracy theory, that had its origin, as I understand it, in the 1960s. And it was actually originated with the CIA, and it was used as a, and it was applied to those people who disbelieved the Warren Commission, uh, Commission's findings on the assassination of, of President uh, John F. Kennedy in 1963. The Warren Commission, that was the official commission that was uh, tasked with the duty of uh, of investigating his his assassination. And you know, anybody who didn't accept the idea that it was Lee Harvey Oswald that was a lone gun, you know, was the lone gunman, and that there wasn't anything more to it than that. Anybody who, um, you know, dissented from that that uh, official line, they were branded a conspiracy theorist. You know, some wild-eyed person out there cooking up all kinds of of nonsense. Well, you know, and of course, <clears throat> conspiracies do exist, and they've existed for a long time. I mean, you can find conspiracies in scripture. You know, the um, you know the crucifixion of Christ himself was a conspiracy. I mean, the Pharisees and the Sadducees conspired for years to have him put to death, you know, and they finally succeeded. And of course, they involved the Romans in it as well. They they drew them in, but yeah, that was a conspiracy. It was very clearly a conspiracy. And there are other conspiracies. You know, there was a conspiracy to murder the Apostle Paul, and the reason the only reason that didn't go through is uh, Paul's nephew went to the Roman commander. And uh, told him about it, you know, and they uh, they managed to spirit Paul out of out of uh, Jerusalem. You know, there was a conspiracy in Damascus to to murder Paul, and there were other conspiracies. You can find conspiracies in the Old Testament. You know, conspiracies to put kings to death. You know, you could say that that Absalom's rebellion was a conspiracy. You know, he didn't go it alone. You know, he had others who were with him. Yeah, you know, these people, you know, conspiracies just were, you know, more than one person, they get together to plot doing something that's illegal or or immoral. You know, typically it's something that's illegal. And that's what a conspiracy is. And there's lots of conspiracies. So, I mean, the idea that, that there could be a conspiracy or the idea that there couldn't be and that it's crazy to suggest that um, is is itself a conspiracy <laughs> to, uh, to uh, you know, put people off the scent, to confuse people. 
So anyway, so um, Barack Obama, he was was whining about the conspiracy theories getting a broad platform back in 2016. And he goes on, uh, recalling past days when three television channels delivered fact-based news that most people trusted. Obama said democracy requires citizens to be able to sift through lies and distortions. Well, yeah, I mean, there were three television channels, and they were all dominated by Washington. And as I mentioned, you know, these things were, were controlled in the background by the CIA in their Operation Mockingbird. And, of course, the same thing's true with all of the big press outlets. You know, we talk about Time Magazine and New York Times, the Washington Post. Many people have considered the Washington Post to be, for, for a long, long time, to be basically the mouthpiece of the CIA. Now, that's probably true. Wouldn't surprise me at all. So, yeah, they delivered fact-based news that most people trust. Well, most people may have trusted it, but I, I think a lot of people were uh, were deceived. You know, and, of course, that's one of the things that Christ tells us. And not Christ only, but, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, as well, warned listeners, warned readers, see to it that no man deceive you. And that's true of Christian doctrine, but it's also true in, in our life in general. I mean, we have, as Christians, we have a responsibility not to be deceived by by these organizations, whether it's somebody like Barack Obama or the CIA or this new Ministry of Truth that uh, the Biden regime is cooking up, we have a responsibility not to be deceived by these people. And let's see, Obama, Obama continues, we're going to have to rebuild within this wild, wild west of information flow some sort of curating function that people agree to, Obama said at an innovation conference in Pittsburgh. There has to be, I think, some way in which we can sort through information that passes some basic truthiness tests and those that we have to discard because they just don't have any basis in anything that's actually happening in the world, Obama added. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the, this, this ministry of truth that Biden announced this past week, it didn't just come up in a vacuum. This is something that they've been working on for a long time. And, and you can see this, it, to my knowledge, is really the first, really the, the earliest direct mention of this kind of thing. And this is back in October of 2016. So this is what, five, five and a half years ago, you know, going on six years ago. So this has been building for a long time. So that's back in 2016. Now, if you want to fast forward here, I'm going to jump forward to almost two years later. This is August of 2018. And it's got a headline, here are the platforms that have banned InfoWars so far. So uh, InfoWars, as you may know, that's that's Alex Jones' network. And in early August, I think it was August 6th of 2018, Alex Jones got banned by just about every major every major social media outlet, you know, whether it was Facebook, whether it was Spotify, whether it was Stitcher, whether it was Apple, whether it was oh, uh, MailChimp. And I think some others, I'm probably leaving a few off of there. YouTube, I think he got he got kicked off of YouTube. And it was just like he just got nuked. It was six or eight different big tech, big uh, Silicon Valley tech companies. Just got bombed all of a sudden. You're done. Whoosh, you're out of here. And of course, that 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 wasn't the end of it. He was just the, the first or one of the first really high profile victims of this deplatforming thing. And if you've been on Twitter the last several years, you know probably a lot. I mean, a lot of my favorite accounts, Favorite accounts have been deleted, just account after account after account. And if you fast forward here, with that, that was 2018, so let's go here to, okay, this is a story here from January 8th, 2021, and here it, it's talking about President Trump. 
President Trump. Why Twitter finally banned Trump? Okay, so so they banned uh, Donald Trump, I think it was a day or two after the notorious January 6th insurrection, as uh, it's been called. It, it wasn't an insurrection, of course. That's part of the propaganda that we're all supposed to believe. But uh, yeah, so uh, Donald Trump got kicked off of uh, of Twitter. And he's been uh, kicked off of Twitter now for, I guess, what? Uh, it's going on a year and a half at this point, uh, which is, is quite an amazing thing. He was still president at the time, and he was banned from Twitter. So, you know, in, in some ways, I mean, I, I hated to see that happen. But in another way, it's almost, he, he almost asked for it because, you know, one of the things that really annoyed me about the Trump administration was their complete failure to defend their supporters. I mean, their supporters were getting killed on social media. If they weren't being outright kicked off and banned from social media like Alex Jones was, they were being uh, shadow banned, which means that, you know, they could go out there and they could tweet or put out videos or things of this sort, but, but nobody would be able to see them. Or you, you might be able to search for the account and you wouldn't be able to find it. You know, it was a shadow ban and it was a way of suppressing their ability to get their message out. And in fact, there was a, a comment sometime, and I, I don't remember, I, I think it was back right after, see if I can find that quote. There was a, a quote, somebody was complaining, some fairly high-profile person, right after, right after the, uh, the 2016 election, because a lot of people really uh, blamed or credited, depends on which side you were, were on, social media for getting Donald Trump elected in 2016. And I think it did have a lot to do with that. But there was, there was somebody who shortly after the election, I don't have the reference here handy, but he talked about the need to silence the cannons on social media. And he was talking about all of, all in particular, conservatives, Republicans, people who supported Donald Trump, and they needed to shut those down. And of course, they have, have uh, to a very large degree, succeeded in doing so. Not completely, but they have substantially uh, squashed the ability of, of conservatives and Republicans to, uh, to get their message out, to be able to criticize the, uh, the regime. They have definitely done that. Uh, they, they have been uh, effective uh, to a large degree. I don't like that fact, but it's, it's true. Now, Fast forward from uh, from January 2021 here uh, up to today. Just last week, Obama was out in at Stanford University, and he gave a talk. And here's a headline talking about the speech he gave. Uh, this was back on April 21st, so just a little bit over a week ago. It says, Obama argues unregulated social media is a threat to democracy. It calls to pick a side. So, I mean, you really see him echoing that same idea about the need to curate uh, the media in the wild, wild west, you know, a way of being able to assess the truthiness uh, was the way he expressed it back in 2016 of, of, a, of a particular story. So here he is in 2022 saying much the same thing, just a little different words, but basically the same idea. And he says, it's time to pick a side. This is from the, the Los Angeles Times. He says, it's time to pick a side on whether social media companies should be regulated by the government and made more responsible for content published on their services. Former President Barack Obama argued in a sweeping speech at Stanford University on Thursday, arguing that online disinformation is threatening the future of freedom around the world. Okay, well, the big problem here with that is how, how, who decides what's disinformation? You know, who makes the decision on what's disinformation? Well, obviously, somebody needs to be in a, posi in, in a position to be able to do that. In other words, you need a ministry of truth, according to Barack Obama. And, of course, that Ministry of Truth is part of the government. 
And so here we have, I mean, and that implies censorship. It implies a violation of the First Amendment. It implies the destruction of uh, the right to free speech. It's guaranteed to us. It's God-given and guaranteed to us in the Constitution. You know, it, it implies, you know, I, I remember, used, you know, back in the day, people used to be very, uh, you know, they, they'd say, oh, you know, here in, in the free world, and you know, this going back to the, the days of the Cold War, you know, they talk about the free world. And they'd say, oh, well, you know, we really feel sorry for those people over there behind the Iron Curtain, you know, in, the, in Eastern Europe and in the Soviet Union, because why, you know, they just get nothing but government propaganda. Well, I mean, here's, you know, I mean, here's um, Obama basically talking about setting up a, a sort of, uh, you know, what was it, the Soviet news agency TASS in Pravda uh, as well. I guess Pravda was their newspaper. I think Pravda means truth in Russian. You know, that, that's, that's what he wants to do. Because somebody has to decide what disinformation is. And I guess apparently that's the person that's going to be tasked with that is Nina Jankowski, the raging feminist queen. And uh, she's going to be absolutely, <laughs> uh, she, she is a, she is a tyrant and a, a fairly horrible person, uh, from, from everything that I've been able to see. Interestingly enough, too, she is a graduate. She has a master's degree from the Jesuit Georgetown University. This is one of the things that that's, you, you find also so often the case is you don't have to to scratch very hard to find some kind of a Jesuit connection behind these these tyrannical people. And yeah, you know, I mean, if you think about it, really, you know what what they're proposing to do is is really pretty much like what what the Roman Catholic Church did in the Middle Ages. You know, the, in in the Middle Ages, you know, if say if you know the Roman Catholic Church said you have to believe that the uh, <clears throat> that the communion wafer becomes the body of Christ when the priest says, you know, this is my body. And if you don't believe that, well, you know, you're going to be in serious trouble. You're going to not only get deplatformed, you're going to de- get deplatformed with a vengeance. We're coming after you. And, you know, that is the world that these, uh, you know, these uh, Jesuits and the, or Jesuit trained individuals at the very least here in the 20, in the uh, the 21st century want to impose. And so maybe it's not something like uh, the Roman Catholic uh, doctrine of transubstantiation, but it's, it's, you know, other nonsense. I mean, you know, they had transubstantiation while we have transgenderism and they're both equally stupid and they're both equally ungodly and they're both, and they're both blasphemous. In the one case, you know, they, you know, the Roman Catholic church wants you to believe that, uh, that a piece of bread uh, literally becomes the body of Christ. I mean, which is, is absurd and unbiblical. In the other case, you have people want to, you know, convince you that a man can become a woman. Indeed, can become a woman. You know, the, the Babylon Bee they got uh, they they got banned from Twitter. If you are familiar with the Babylon Bee, it's a satire website, and they they got uh, they got banned from Twitter because they gave um, Rachel Levine the uh, the Man of the Year award. <laughs> And if you know who Rachel Levine is, that's well. That uh, he used to be Richard Levine, and, and and he still is, of course, a man. But he pretends to be a woman. He basically sticks a blonde, some really nappy looking blonde wig on his head, and goes in front of Congress and pretends to be a woman named Rachel. Even his original name was Richard, but he, he wants to go by Rachel. And and he was confirmed to some by the Senate to some office. Um, I, I can't remember the exact title of the office. And he was also made an admiral too. Uh, interestingly enough, so the uh, that was enough for the Babylon Bee to give Rachel Levine the the Man of the Year award, which was actually pretty hilarious. 
<laughs> but the uh, the scolds at Twitter didn't uh, didn't take too kindly to that. So so yeah, back in you know back in the the, the Middle Ages, you know, you had to believe in transubstantiation. Here in the 20, uh, 21st century, you have to believe in transgenderism. Uh, I guess a couple of different types of trannies there. And uh, both of them are, are pretty heinous ideas and, and thoroughly absurd ideas and, and unchristian ideas and destructive ideas. But uh, these very powerful organizations expect you to, to believe these things, and they will punish you severely if you don't. So anyway, uh, Barack Obama, I usually call him Barry he uh he was uh yeah he's he's out pushing his uh his censorship uh, ideas again and uh, that's that's what he was doing last week and of course this was right around the time too that that Elon Musk was talking about buying twitter which which he has done and in fact let's uh, go to this here this was from back on april 25th so this was early uh, earlier this week i guess it was 5 days ago here uh, here's the headline this is from reuters musk gets twitter for 44 billion to cheers and fears a free speech plan so you've got all these people that have just been completely melting down at the idea of elon musk buying twitter and getting rid of all the censorship they they can't handle it now I'm going to have to say when it when it comes to Elon Musk, I, I I want to be cautiously optimistic. I mean, Elon Musk has some kind of quirkiness to him as well, and I, I don't want to go into all of that right now. But I, I I don't know that that he would be what you would call a a uh, I I don't believe he's a Christian, and frankly, he's got some pretty odd ideas about another trans concept, and and that is transhumanism and. You know he's he's uh, of course he's he's billed as the richest man in the world. Now I don't actually believe that he's the richest man in the world. I think there are people that are far wealthier than he is uh, that make sure that they name, their names don't appear on the list. But Elon Musk is is certainly a a very wealthy man. Has you know tens of billions or maybe over a hundred billion dollars in wealth now. I guess uh, supposedly, and he's gone out and and he's bought Twitter and. I say I want to be cautiously optimistic. I mean, you could sit here and you can can complain about, you know, well, Elon Musk thinks this or Elon Musk does that or Elon Musk isn't, you know, the the knight in shining armor or something like this. But that that doesn't mean that he can't do good. It doesn't mean that this can't be something good, uh, or that it's it's all a a complete hoax that that he's what what he's done by buying Twitter. Maybe he's actually serious about uh, turning it into a free speech platform, or at least certainly making it more free than it is right now. And that's that would be a good thing. And it's been very instructive to watch the uh, fine folks out there who uh, have just been melting down. I mean, they have just been absolutely just terrified at the thought of of Elon Musk buying Twitter. And, and it's 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 amazing to watch this. And one of the people that's melting down the worst has been Elizabeth Warren. Now, here's a an article. This is a, written by uh, Jonathan Turley. Jonathan Turley is a law professor at George Washington University, and he's a Democrat. But he's actually one of the few Democrats. I would say I, I would call him a fair-minded man. I don't agree with him on everything, but as far as as the issue of free speech goes, he's really, really good on this subject. And to my knowledge, he has has always been very consistent on this. So this is a a point of principle with him: uh, free speech, defending free speech. And I say he's very consistent about this. So he's got a, an article here from a couple of days ago. It says there are going to be rules. 
Warren, it's talking about Senator Elizabeth Warren, pledges wealth tax and social media regulations after Musk Twitter deal. So she's all kinds of bent out of shape about uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. And uh, Turley writes here, he says, in response to Elon Musk buying Twitter with a pledge to restore free speech values to the company, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts, joined many on the left in declaring that our very democracy is now in danger. However, last night, Warren went further with MSNBC's host Ari Melber to pledge to hit Musk and others with a wealth tax and new rules limiting what he can do with his new company. I just love this. There are going to be rules. She sounds like some, some killjoy schoolmarm out there ready to whack you with a ruler. And uh, Turley continues, he says, The choice of interviewers was notable since Melbourne has been under fire for warning that Twitter could be used to secretly ban or turn down the reach of a political party or a candidate. <laughs> you mean like what they've been doing for the last few years to, to Republicans in, in particular? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this guy, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether he's that is that self-unaware or not. But he's worried, I guess, that, you know, that uh, I don't know that... Uh, Maybe he or other people of his progressive leftist Marxist kind of persuasion are going to get banned or turned down. And again, I would just say, well, you mean like the way that's been happening to uh, to constitutionalists and Christians and and other people here over the last few years? Yeah, yeah. He 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 doesn't. It's okay when it's happening to you or to me, but when it happens to him or people he agrees with, well, that's a disaster. So uh, yeah, he he doesn't exactly love his neighbor as himself. You know, let's let's put it that way. And this is one of the the real uh, bits of hypocrisy that you see uh, from a lot of these Democrats and a lot of these progressives, you know, like uh, Elizabeth Warren. She certainly wasn't concerned when when you had uh, all these uh, have had all these uh, these conservatives getting banned over the last several years. And even the Republicans haven't come to their defense. Donald Trump did not come to the defense of his supporters when they were getting killed online by Twitter and by YouTube and by Facebook and by Google, uh, by, by all of these, these big time, big tech companies. He did nothing about it. The Republican party did nothing to defend their own supporters while they just got destroyed. And now finally somebody has come around, come along and, uh, uh, with some money and has pledged to actually and, and has put himself in a position where he, he can do something about it. And these people are absolutely melting down. And you have to ask yourself, you know, if the the worldview of all these master of the universe types, if their worldview is so frail that it can't withstand scrutiny, then that really strongly suggests that maybe what they're trying to push on you is a bunch of nonsense. It 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 strongly suggests they don't have a very good case. And not only that, but it suggests that they know that they don't have a very good case. And they're running scared. And frankly, I've really enjoyed watching these people melt down. They call that schadenfreude. And I've definitely uh, indulged myself in a heaping helping of schadenfreude here over the past uh, couple weeks as this, this Twitter story has played out. So, uh, yeah, Elizabeth Warren's melting down as well. So anyway, that's, that's kind of where we are in, in sort of the – that's a brief history of the, the free speech – attack on free speech that uh, has gone on here over the last few years. And that doesn't cover everything, and it's not my intention to cover everything here. That's just a very brief overview. Uh, there's certainly more to it than that, and uh, perhaps we'll get around to, to talking about that in some future podcasts. One thing I did want to talk a little bit about, too, is talk about free speech from, from a, a Christian perspective. You know, does, does the Bible actually support free speech? And and the short answer to that is is yes it does. 
That, that is a, a biblical concept. And in fact, I would, would argue that it, the reason that we have free speech in the United States of America, the reason that that is such a bedrock principle of our country, that it was included as part of the First Amendment to the Constitution, one of the original Ten Amendments to the Constitution back at the time the Constitution was, was written and, and ratified, is because of the biblical Protestant history of the United States of America. That's why we have that. I, in fact, I wrote a, a, an article about this on my blog uh, last week. It was uh, last, last Sunday's post. And I, I wanted to just share a little bit of that with you here. And, and I titled the, the name of the post, I titled it, uh, The Biblical Roots of Free Speech. And one of the, the, the main thrust of this article, it's, it's the idea that, you know, can we find in the scriptures a, a defense of free speech? And of course, the short answer to that is, is yes. And one of the places where you can see this is in, in Jeremiah 26. And this is where the Lord tells Jeremiah to go stand in the house of the Lord uh, on, on the Sabbath and preach to the people. And he goes out there and he delivers a sermon. He says, I'm just paraphrasing here, but he says, you know, you've been unfaithful. And because of your unfaithfulness, because you've rejected God, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Now, when, when he was there preaching this in, in, the, in the temple, of course, you can imagine there are a lot of people that did not want to hear that message. The, uh, and Jeremiah was faithful in what he did. In fact, God specifically told him, he said this, this is, what he, this is the charge that he gave Jeremiah. He said this, quote, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. So God's very specific with, with Jeremiah. Here's what I want you to say. And, and he commands him specifically, don't diminish even a word. Now, this is one of the, one of the, uh, the important things here as, as Christians, of course, we believe in the importance of every word uh, of the Scripture. You know, that they're not randomly put there, but that they, they are there with a purpose. All of the words of all 66 books of the Bible. This is a, a very important uh, concept in, in Christianity, and it was something that was rediscovered at the time of the Reformation from the scriptures, from the revealed word of God, and that's what the scriptures are, the revealed, inerrant word of God, that is our reference for truth. That is, our, that is revealed truth and is the only source of truth that as Christians that we have. It's the word of God. All of the ideas, all the words, all the teachings of all men need to be brought back to the scriptures and compared to them. You know, that was... A, a concept that, that Martin Luther articulated, and it was called the script, the Schriftprinzip in German, or just simply the writing principle. It's the basis for the system of, of thought, philosophy, that was developed by Gordon Clark and, and later by, by John Robbins, that uh, John Robbins called scripturalism. The idea that the Bible alone is the word of God. You know, that, that's another way of saying scripture alone. You know, that all of our ideas, whether we're talking about ideas regarding things such as, say, salvation, or even things such as politics or economics, issues like free speech, we can go back to the scriptures and we can look and we can find, well, does the, does, do the scriptures actually support the idea of free speech? And the short answer to that is yes. And if you go back and you read the record of, of Jeremiah 26, these people wanted to kill Jeremiah. And they, they brought him before some of the, uh, the princes of Judah, and they, they made this case. 
Uh, in fact, it says here that, that it said that Jeremiah was seized by the priests and the prophets and all the people. So there were three groups of people here. There, there were the priests and the prophets, and then there were also just the, the, the regular common people. And they were all incensed at the message Jeremiah had, and they seized him, and, and they dragged him before the, the princes of Judah to be tried and executed. They said, this man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Of course, this man is referring to Jeremiah. Interestingly here, on this occasion, the princes of Judah were more fair-minded than the rest of the people. And after hearing Jeremiah's defense, they responded, This man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And then we, read, we further read here that, uh, that certain of the elders defended Jeremiah by citing the president of Micah of, of Moresheth. Now, that's just the prophet Micah, the, after whom the Old Testament book is named. And they specifically cited this. And they, so Micah had been going around during the, the reign of King Hezekiah saying, Zion shall be plowed like a field. And the elders continued and they said, did Hezekiah, king of Judah and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear, did he, that is Hezekiah, did he, did he, did he Hezekiah, not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them? But we are doing great evil against ourselves. So what these elders are saying is, okay, this prophet came and he was pronouncing doom and destruction against Jerusalem, and nobody shut him up, nobody threw him in jail, nobody executed him, nobody tortured him. Uh, Hezekiah was a good king. You know, Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings that Judah ever had. And they could point to Hezekiah and say, well, Hezekiah did not kill this prophet, did not torture this prophet, did not shut this prophet up. Deplatform the prophet, I guess, if you want to maybe put it in uh, in uh, modern parlance. He he didn't try to deplatform uh, Micah, but he listened to him and he repented, and and the Lord relented from the doom that he had prophesied through Micah. And so these elders looked at this case of Micah and said, "Okay, yeah, he said something. You know, he was was prophesying against the king. He was prophesying against the people. He says you people are are, are sinning and you need to repent." Was essentially Micah's. Micah's uh, message, and if you don't do it, you're going to get destroyed. But they actually listened to Micah. They didn't try to shut him down. And from this, we get the idea of free speech. And this is the purpose of free speech. This is what we really see the purpose of free speech here, and that is to be able to articulate truth, to articulate unpopular truth. And sometimes it means the idea of speaking truth to power. You know, that you can disagree as a prophet with the king, who's the chief civil magistrate, and not be killed, and not be tortured, and not be imprisoned. So you can see that concept right there in, in the Old Testament. The elders of Judah understood this, even in the day of Jeremiah, when, you know, I mean, let's face it, Judah wasn't exactly at a spiritual high point. In fact, Judah was um, almost ready to go into captivity. That had been long been prophesied. It, it was almost there. I mean, the, the Babylonians were close to to getting uh, to conquering Jerusalem and dragging the people off to Babylon. But there was still enough understanding, enough appreciation for the word of God and for the liberty of the prophets to be able to speak that word. The people defended Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not put to death. 
Now, what's interesting is later on, in, after you, you see this scene with Jeremiah, it, the, that same chapter talks about another individual who had said a message very similar to what Jeremiah did, and they pursued him. They wanted to kill him, and this, this prophet, I don't have his name in front of him, but he fled to Egypt, and the king at the time was Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim sent some men to Egypt, and they seized him, and they, they put him to death, this other prophet. So the, the king did not want to hear this stuff. Jehoiakim, he did, he didn't want people um, challenging his uh, his decisions and prophesying against his his uh, rule. But Jeremiah had uh, the protection of God. You know, God early on when at, at Jeremiah's call said that that you know he told him not to be afraid of these people. You know that he would uh, would defend him. God told Jeremiah this, and and of course one of the ways he defended him. In fact, it mentioned it there in in uh, Jeremiah twenty six. Again, I, I don't have the text in front of me. I'm going by memory here, but there was a, a particular man, a, a minister, um, had some position within the the government that specifically protected Jeremiah. I can't remember this individual's name, but but that was one of the ways the the things that God used to protect Jeremiah. That God was faithful to Jeremiah. And, and protected him from the people who did want to kill him, from the king and from these, these false prophets and these priests and some of the people who were enraged at, at Jeremiah's preaching. So again, you know, that idea of free speech, idea that you can disagree with civil authorities, that you can speak the truth, that you, and you ought to be able to do that without having your life threatened or your property, uh, these sorts of things, that is a biblical concept. And of course, there, there's more to the idea of free speech, and there are other examples of that in Scripture. That's just one. And I, and, and I wanted to share that with you to at least show that, yes, that concept can be found in the Scriptures, free speech. And I thank God that we've had that protected uh, constitutionally in our country for you know, well over 200 years at this point. And, and I would just encourage you to, to pray for the country to speak out, call your senators, call your representative in Congress, tell them this stuff needs to stop. And that's one of the most effective things. You know, one of the things, you, apart from prayer, you know, people will say, well, what kind of action can I take? One of the most effective things that anyone can do, and if you listen to people who have been in Washington for a long time, they will tell you this. One of the most effective things you can do is a very simple thing. Call your senators, call your, congressional, your U.S. congressional representative. Don't send them an email. Don't send them a letter. Pick up a telephone. Call their office. And you can go, and, and you, if, if you don't know who your senators are, if you don't know who their, what their phone numbers are, you can go on, I, I think, what is it? Congress. Well, Congress.gov. Let's see, that's, uh, that's the Library of Congress. Um, there's uh, members of U.S. Congress, Congress.gov. So, yeah, if, if you just go to, to Congress.gov, and you can navigate around on that website. You can find out who your representatives are. You can find out who your senators are. It, that, that website will provide their, their office number. I did that this past week. I called uh, both Ohio senators, Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown. When I call the senator's office, I always get a voicemail and to say, oh, leave your name and your, your address and your telephone number and your zip code and, and a brief message. And, and, and when you call them up, you know, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe you've never done that before. Maybe that seems a little odd or intimidating to think about calling your senator. It's actually very easy because when I call the senators, like I say, I always get a voicemail. And, and you don't have to give some great big eloquent speech. You don't have to yell and scream uh, or act foolish. You can just say, you know, I, I saw where, where President Biden wants to establish the, uh, this uh, disinformation governance board. 
It's a really awkward title. I mean, I have a hard time even remembering it or being able to say it. The Disinformation Governance Board, the Ministry of Truth. You know, I've heard that President Biden wants to have this established. This is going to go through. I think this is remarkably uh, unconstitutional. It is un-American. I oppose it uh, with all my heart. And I encourage you to speak out against it as well. Thank you very much. That's all, you, that's all you have to say. Just something very simple like that. You don't have to rant and rave and carry on. Now, when I call my representative, and my, I happen to live in the 1st Congressional District of Ohio, I guess it's going to be the 2nd District here soon, but I think right now I'm still in the 1st Congressional District. Uh, my, my representative is Steve Shabbat. And I call Steve Shabbat's office up, and I, I always get somebody. I always actually get a live person. It sounds like a fairly young individual, probably a 20-something staffer, I would suppose. And just politely say, hey, you know, I, I, I oppose very strongly this whole disinformation governance board, and I encourage the representative Shabbat to speak out against it. And, and that's, again, that's all I have to say. And, and you'll usually ask me, you know, what's your zip code or something like that? And thank you very much. Have a great day. Take care. You know, the whole conversation is probably less than a minute. So it's it's pretty easy to get through to people. And again, you don't have to yell and scream or, or they say, give some really eloquent speech. Just state your case and, and be done with it. You don't have to argue with anybody. And, and that is, in, in, when you listen to people who have been in Washington, I'll, I'll cite Ron Paul as an example of this. Ron Paul has talked many times about, you know, if you want to see action in Congress, call your representatives, call your senators. That's the quickest way to, to, to alert them to an issue. You know, if there's something going on and people are concerned about it and you got people flooding their, their, their office with calls, they're going to say, hmm, you know, there's something going on here. So call your representatives, call your senators pray, pray first. You know, we have to pray and we have to work. And and so I would encourage you to do that. If you haven't done so already, do that uh, sometime next week early. And uh, we need to, to stay on this and we need to talk about this because this is an incredibly dangerous thing uh, that uh, the Biden regime is doing and we have to oppose this. So that's all that I have for this week. Thanks so much for listening. It was really great to have you here. And until we talk again next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word.